It's the root of all. 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 With Alexander Brown. Alexander Brown. It's the root of all with Alexander Brown. Alrighty. What's up, everyone? We are back with another episode of The Root of All with Alexander Brown. I am, of course, your host, Alexander Brown. And on today, I have a very special guest, Eli Wallace. And to my viewers who don't know Eli personally, he's been someone that has gained attraction from his interviews with notable politicians, such as Congressman Joe Cunningham of South Carolina's 1st Congressional District, of course, Senator Lindsey Graham, and his challenger, which is one of my personal favorites, Jamie Harrison. Um, so in my opinion, Eli's work is not only admirable, but it's essential in today's society. We need people who can walk up to their representatives and not be afraid to ask them the tough questions. So without further ado, say something for my listeners, Eli. How are you doing today? Hey there, everybody. I'm doing great. I'm here with Big Daddy Alexander Brown. We're doing an <laughs> awesome little podcast here for everybody. You know, just something to get you through that last shift your last 30 minutes you're working at Publix you're ready to go home come on buddy we're gonna get you through it just listen to the podcast enjoy we're gonna get you some laughs we're gonna get you some political discretion and we're gonna get this party started awesome awesome and as my previous listeners know in every podcast episode of mine uh, we have two segments uh, one is the discussion questions which can help drive the conversation and then to finish we always answer some of the questions from our listeners so First, let's dive right into these discussion questions, and I'm going to ask Eli the first question. So, Eli, when exactly did you decide to get active in politics? I think a lot of people, for the most part, they try their best to actually create a path that doesn't involve politics, but you've actually created a path that involves it. So when did you decide exactly you wanted to be involved? Well, you know, man, um, I've always wanted to be involved in politics ever since I was like a little kid. I, one of my dreams is to become the president. So who knows, maybe one day you'll be able to say you did a podcast with the president. But uh, yeah, so I really decided to get involved in it. And especially with the interviews, whenever I, after I sat down with um, state representative J.A. Moore, and that was, um, he was actually trying to buy a car from my dad. My dad was working at a car dealership at the time. And they made it like a little condition that he had to do an interview with you know, his son to be able to get a good price on the car. So I sat down with him at like a Starbucks and Tanger Outlets and we did a little interview and I was just talking to him, you know, at the table and asking him about his job. And after that, I was like, I really enjoy this and I really want to get involved. And then kind of relating to that, whenever I really, really, really said that it was time was whenever I went after I went to the Democratic debate and how that happened. Um, so I posted on Twitter because there's this guy named Trav Robertson. He's the chair of the South Carolina Democratic Party. And I was trying to find like an email or something to contact him. And so I was, I posted and I was like, Hey, Trav, this is Eli Wallace. I'm like a 15 year old living in Somerville, South Carolina. I'd love to go to the Democratic debate. How would you recommend I contact you? And so he responds and I was surprised he responded. And he was like, Hey there, Eli, just shoot me an email at this email. And I was like, okay. So I sent him this long email about like my story and how I want to go to the Democratic debate because I'm like so eager. I've seen other candidates and, you know, South Carolina was big at that time because Joe Biden was really going for it. And it, in the end, it did end up saving him. 
And so, yeah, all the candidates were coming around and I was just telling him that I went to all these different rallies and things like that. And he was like, okay. And you wanted a ticket for you and your dad. And I was like, yes, sir. I'd love that. And then he got me in there just like that. And after seeing the debate, I was like, wow, this is something I've really, really enjoyed seeing. And I think it's something that I might want to pursue. And ever since then, I've just been, you know, working at it and keep grinding. Awesome. Awesome. You hit a lot of good points. First, we love Trav. Trav is a really nice guy for those that actually know him. Um, and secondly, you brought up another huge point. I think the primary season itself motivated a lot of people to get proactive in politics. I mean, the Democratic field had close to, I think, 24 different candidates at one point. So I think that was, you know, a perfect chance for people to actually have that diverse sense of politics and, you know, find your place there. So awesome. And that debate that you're talking about in general was honestly, I would say probably the most effective debates out of all of them. I mean, you mentioned that South Carolina played a pivotal role in the primary season. And without South Carolina, I don't think Biden wouldn't be in the position that he's in now. And then on top of that with Clyburn's endorsement. So awesome, good points you brought up. So within all of that, and with all the work that you've actually um, had the chance of doing, um, I actually watched your interview, or two interviews with uh, Jamie Harrison, who is challenging Senator Lindsey Graham, and you actually had the chance to talk to both of them, which is awesome. So honestly, give me your unadulterated, honest opinion about this race. Who do you think is going to win? Who do you think has the most momentum? Or And who do you think is best to be our senator next? Well, you know, man, I'm going to be like a politician and just talk about this one for a little bit, because this is really interesting. And when I saw the question, I was like, whoa. So Jamie, I think, has surpassed a lot of people's expectations. And I know that some people will be like, oh, you call him Senator Graham. Why don't you call him like Mr. Harrison? Um, I call Jamie Jamie because that's the way he brands himself. He always, I'm Jamie Harrison. That's like his, you know, kind of motto. So I'll, I'll refer to him as Jamie and Graham as Senator Graham or just Graham. And so I think that Jamie has surpassed a lot of people's expectations. Um, I have his book, ironically, and he's – you know, he was chair of the South Carolina Democratic Party for a little bit. He's pretty much always been involved in politics ever since he was a little kid. And he did the Senate Youth Program, if I'm correct. And so he's definitely had a lot of experience and especially relating to Congressman Jim Clyburn. He's worked for him at multiple different points in his life. And I know that Congressman Jim Clyburn is 100% on, ooh, excuse me, on board with Jamie in his run. So I think that Jamie has surprised a lot of people and will continue to surpass expectations. Um, you know, after talking to him, Jamie's a very personal guy. You know, of course, there's a part of me that's just like, I wish that he would talk to me and not have that politician filter. But every politician has that, at least the, you know, the ones who are getting really big, wherever, like, they'll, they'll think of saying something and then they just stop. But so, yeah, Jamie, he, I think, you know, if I had to make a prediction for the race, I'm going to say that Jamie's going to get it. And you know, I know that a lot of people are saying, oh, Graham's going to get it at South Carolina. Well, I was leaning with that for a while. And I was just saying, I mean, it's realistically at South Carolina, it's a very red state. Um, this is something that hasn't been done. You know, I don't think we've had a Democratic senator since Fritz Hollings. And so, and for, Fritz Hollings was, I mean, questionably a Democrat. Like he, he very much kind of went to the Republican side on a lot of different issues. And so, 
Jamie is very, very interesting. And also the fact that he's, you know, an African-American, a black guy. I mean, that would be, we would be the first state to send two black senators in South Carolina. Like, are you kidding me? That would be something because people always say, well, South Carolina goddamn racist. And so, but I'm like, well, okay, let's wait and see. But so, yeah, opinion on the race. Um, I think that Jamie's going to win it. And really, I think that the biggest problem that Jamie has is name recognition because Senator Graham has a lot of name recognition. He's been in there for a long time. And, but I feel like with Jamie's fundraising, I mean, like he just raised like $57 million in quarter three. I feel like he's bridging that gap. And so he might just come in on top. Um, interviewing both of the people and opinions on them, I would have to say Jamie's definitely more personable, but I feel like Senator Graham has just been dealing with people for a long time. And so it's, it's harder for him to make that personal connection. But uh, in my opinion on Senator Graham, and, you know, I, I try to ask bipartisan questions. And, of course, I have my own opinion. And, I, you know, if people ask me, I tell them I lean Democratic. And that's my opinion. That's where I stand on these issues. But whenever I'm talking to people, I try to ask bipartisan questions. Like, for example, I just sat down and did an um, interview with the lieutenant governor. And she's a Republican. And I just try to see people as people and ask questions that apply to both sides and apply to them. And kind of relating to that, um, if I had to give you a personal opinion on Senator Graham, uh, I'm, I'm not a biggest fan of his. I, he's been a senator since I've been alive, if I'm correct. And so, I mean, of course, you know, people have different opinions on term limits. And of course, like he said, you can limit my term if you want to. So we'll have to see what happens with that. But uh, Senator Graham, my biggest problem with him is his word. I think that's a very big thing, especially in the South. Um, you know, keeping your word. And a lot of times agreements are made based on your word and what you have told people you're going to do. And I mean, we're seeing it right now. In 2016, he was saying that, oh, if there literally, if there's a vacancy in, you know, President Trump's term or if there, whoever there is the president, we are not going to fill that seat. And, you know, now he just decides that because it's politically advantageous for him, he wants to sacrifice his word and go for it, which, of course, will shore up his base. I mean, <laughs> but I feel like his base was going to come out for him anyways. So it'll be a very interesting race. But ultimately, my prediction is that Jamie's going to win it. And I'm very excited to see what Jamie does. I'll, you know what? Awesome. All across. Because you brought up, I think, three, three of the biggest aspects of this race. One Jamie is presenting a movement that is generating momentum and that is causing South Carolina and, and honestly, all of these Southern states to paint the picture of a new South. You know, the blue wave is coming. And we know that he has momentum, as you just mentioned, his previous uh, last quarter's numbers were huge. I mean, $57 million in one quarter. Broke the that record. Right, right. And that proves that not only the state of South Carolina is ready for new leadership, this country is watching South Carolina and they want new leadership. So that's one. Two, um, I've actually had a chance of meeting Lindsey Graham too. Um, it was for a split second in DC on the steps of the Capitol. Um, one of my uh, peers asked him a question about um, the protection of police officers. He flopped on the question. Like literally he had the opportunity of addressing it head on and he refused. So now that's why I was like, okay, yes, he's been here. Yes, he's experienced, but is he best for South Carolina? That's when I was like, okay, maybe it's time for, you know, a transfer, you know, of leadership. And three, um, it's time. I, I mean, you mentioned term limits, and I think Lindsey 
he's been in office for so long, he's kind of coming out of a touch of what is good politically and what's not. As you mentioned, he flip-flops. That is the, that's like the biggest trademark of the Harrison uh, campaign. They actually produced like flip-flops that had like quotes by Lindsey Graham on it. Um, he's flip-flop on issues. I mean, he's changed his tune on issues. And ultimately he's became a very big Trump loyalist. And within that, we need country over party at the end of the day. And we need leadership that's gonna reflect us being the constituents. And within that, I would say that uh, Jamie's gonna win this just for that reason. And yeah, and also to my viewers that were actually uh, just watching the hearings, um, I don't know because me personally, I can tell that something has changed within Lindsay in this campaign. I feel like the threat of Harrison emerging and these numbers keep on coming in, a polling, it's tied. Uh, Graham is scared. I think genuinely he is. I mean, um, from being the chairman of the ju Judiciary Committee in the Senate, it was almost like he kind of felt like he had this power, this power stance. And now it's almost like, oh, wow, I might actually lose my seat. I might actually start, you know, doing stuff that's appealing to my constituents, not just the president. So, yeah, it's a very, very cool election, in my opinion. Like, I, I think this election is going to be the indication of where South Carolina is heading. And, yeah, so it was really cool seeing that you had the chance to interview them both. Awesome. Good work yeah, and, on you. And Jamie's the tip of the spear. And oh, yeah. that's, that's what I would definitely say about him is that I feel like if Jamie wins, then we're going to see a, a start of a Democratic South coming about. And we're already seeing that in the demographics. We're already seeing that a lot of people are moving to South Carolina and a lot of people from the Rust Belt in particular, a lot of African-Americans and other minorities and just, you know, white people too, just moving to South Carolina and the general South so it's looking like the Rust Belt is going to move Republican, but the South is going to turn back into this kind of yellow dog Democrat. So I'm very, very curious. But yeah, I definitely think that Jamie is the tip of the spear whenever it comes to that movement. Because I mean, imagine like a Democratic senator and what that would do for state races across South Carolina. I mean, now they have like this power fundraiser that's getting behind them. And that would just, I mean, Jamie would be able to open so many doors and, you know, possibility of flipping the South Carolina Senate and maybe even flipping the South Carolina House if everything went absolutely amazing. But yeah, so it's the, it's the tip of the spear. Absolutely. And you brought up another good point. I think uh, Jamie, as of right now, he's already opening doors. I mean, I work for uh, Mo Brown for Congress, and I can genuinely say that we're kind of riding the tails of Jamie's momentum and we're kind of seeing uh, a positive benefit of, of Jamie being in the Senate race. I mean, from Adair to Hosea to Kim to Melissa, I mean, I think that we're all seeing a surge of, you know, a blue wave is coming. And I think that is mainly because of Jamie. So I, he's already doing that now and I can't wait to see how the South can transform, you know, politically um, into this whole different uh, ideology that was once painted as just red. So it's, it's really, it's going to be a really good race. And, you know, we'll see who wins that on November 3rd. So cool. All right. Now let's switch the whole topic and let's get back into youth involvement and stuff like that. Um, as you mentioned, you are very proactive in politics. You've been talking to these people. You've been having effective conversations with these people. So what is one way we can boost youth involvement in politics, in your opinion? Huh. Well, the youth got to get involved. But to, to boost youth involvement in politics, um, you know, that's, that's a tricky question because, like, for example, Senator Bernie Sanders, 
it seems like he would have won the nomination if the youth just showed up and voted for him. And I feel like the problem that we're facing today, and me and you both know this man is two people that are in the youth. Uh, you know, social media is one thing and actually getting out there and doing the work is a completely different thing. And I feel like a lot of youth, at least right now, and maybe even including myself, because I, I, you know, I got my mom to vote for Senator Sanders in the primary. We could talk about that if you'd like, but uh, yeah, I got her to vote for him and that that's for other reasons, but you know, I feel like it's more of trend following. And so, but going back to the question, getting youth involved in politics, I feel like they have to really be interested in it because like, for example, them saying that they're going to vote for Senator Sanders and they just didn't show up. Uh, a lot of those people, like I mentioned, were doing it, you know, kind of as a trend to be cool rather that they're not actually interested in what Bernie is talking about or what the policy issues are of the campaign. I mean, go up to them and say, okay, tell me what Bernie wants to do. And well, you know, you, they, you might get free healthcare. Okay. Name another issue. But then that's, they, you lose them. You lose the majority of them. And it's because they're following a trend rather than actually getting interested in politics. So to boost youth involvement in politics, I don't know, man, because people have been trying that for so long and, I think with social media, it's getting better because now it's almost like a pressure from your friends. Like, especially, I feel like, especially now, 2024 and the 2022 midterms, I want to watch out for that. And, you know, even this year too, because I feel like a lot of people in the youth are pressuring their friends and saying, okay, you didn't go and vote during the primary. That's fine. We got our candidate, but now we're facing this huge election. I mean, all the representatives in the House of Representatives are up on the ballot. You know, in South Carolina, we have one of our senators on the ballot. We have all of our state representatives on the ballot. We have a very good amount of our senators on the ballot, state senators on the ballot. And so now it's become like, the, the, really, there's not an excuse to just stay home. And so I feel like with the pressure from the other youth, youth involvement will increase in politics, but they have to be interested themselves. It's not something you could force on them. Awesome. And you brought up Bernie, and that's one thing that I'll always give Bernie. Bernie's campaign coalition was huge. It had youth, it had uh, minorities, it had every person from a different walk of life, even Republicans were supporting Sanders. Um, I would say he did an amazing job because one, Bernie ran on a platform knowing that this election is gonna be very consequential in one aspect, healthcare, okay? A lot of people are still in this political debate about um, which type of system of healthcare you did you want. Bernie ran on a platform of Medicare for All, which was appealing to youth progressives and even older progressives. You know, a lot of people want Medicare for All. So that's one thing I think Bernie thrived in. And secondly, you, you just hit a lot of good points when you mentioned social media. It's guns to the point where now you really can't even open like Instagram or Twitter without seeing something political. I mean, you're, going, you're bound to see a Jamie Harrison ad if you live in the state of South Carolina, or if not, you're going to see something about Trump that's came out in a news outlet. I mean, it's bound to happen. And now I think in this election, we're actually putting more resources and more opportunities for people to get proactive in voting. I mean, everywhere, everywhere I go, I see register to vote, have you registered to vote, this is how you do it, this, make a voter plan. You know, it's, it's like now we're finally realizing that there is power in our vote and people that were in favor of Hillary in 2016, they're trying to say like, okay guys, you guys messed up the first time, let's do this again. Get active, get proactive, 
and it's time for us to take it to the polls, okay? So I think, yeah, youth involvement is, like you mentioned, it's within yourself. Um, yeah, so cool. Now, my biggest question to you, another change in topic. You've interviewed a lot of people. I'll give you that. You've interviewed a lot of people. And that's why I will always say that your work is admirable because you actually taking the initiative to talk to these people. You're not afraid. You just walk up to them with your mic and the cameraman and you're just there. I love that. I, I've always loved that about you. So, Thank so you. far out of all the people that you've interviewed, who's been your favorite and least favorite? You know, man, whenever you sent me that question, I was thinking about it a lot because it's, it's such a tricky question because you don't want to step on toes, but I will. <laughs> so a favorite interview. Um, you know, I got to say to just pick one, just a random interview that I have, I'd probably have to say Congressman Cunningham because he really surprised me a lot. He was very personable, a very nice guy to talk to. I mean, you know, he, from asking me about my animals in the back to using my name in conversation and talking about issues that actually mattered to me, he's kind of centered his campaign on local issues. So he was probably my favorite interview. And relating to that, Nancy Mace was very surprising too, because before I met Nancy Mace, and I need to tell her this the next time I see her, I'll see her on the 17th at an event she's going to. I didn't like her. I like, I was like, I don't like this lady. I mean, she's just like attacking Joe Cunningham and running all these negative ads. Like, I don't like her. And there's a whole nother situation wherever they wouldn't do an interview with me for a little bit. And that, but so yeah, there, there was some, uh, <laughs> there was some backstory to that, but I was like, I don't like her. And then I met her and she's like one of those people to me that like, if she can get in front of people and like interact with them. I feel like she could convince some voters to her side because I saw her as just this like tough, like mean lady. That's like, you know, first woman graduate from the Citadel that is like Joe Cunningham is a terrible Congressman. And she starts at Democrat Joe Cunningham. And so I, I just saw her as like this mean lady. And then I met her and she was like a really nice kind of like mom to me and you know like she hugged me she complimented my outfit she t asked me like she complimented that i was so young and doing this so she was really nice to meet um least favorite interview okay this one might cause a little bit of controversy i might have to get a little bit closer to the mic uh least favorite interview i know one but i don't know if i should say it um but i will because i want to give you a little special thing on the podcast here uh, probably, and if she sees this, sorry, uh, Kristen Graziano, who is running for sheriff. And I'll, the context behind that is that I was at an event, and I'm sure it was just a bad day for her, and she's a ex very nice lady, but I was doing an interview with her, and she just came across to me as, like, in a rush. She just seemed like she wanted to get out of there and, like, wasn't really interested in talking to me, like, um... For example, one of the things that she brought up whenever we were talking, because I asked her kind of like, if I'm correct, what I what she wanted to do as sheriff, like what kind of policy initiative, what's her story, where's she from? And she's like, okay, did you hear what I had to say outside? And I'm like, um, no, ma'am, I did not. And then she's like, okay, so I'll just repeat that. And to me, I was like, hmm. But so yeah, she she was probably the least favorite interview, and I'll probably do another interview with her. And of course, I I try to be open with people, so I might just tell her and be like, "Hey, that first interview wasn't that good. Let's see if we can make it up." But yeah, man, favorite interview: Joe Cunningham. Least favorite: Kristen Graziano. 
awesome. And I just love how honest you are up like up front awesome and i'm so glad you brought up uh cunningham and mace because that's actually our next question and it was a question from the viewer so now let's move into our uh questions from our viewers so what is your honest opinion on the race between cunningham and mace you just talked about it a little bit but now let's talk about it like as a race now because if you look at the south carolina's first uh, congressional district the cook index is i think plus seven points for the Republican side. So do you think that Cunningham has a really good chance of saving his seat or do you think Mates might actually take it from him? What's your honest opinion? Um, oh, so with that one, uh, it's very interesting because after meeting them both, I do like them both now. So it's like tricky, but being completely honest with you, um, I think that Cunningham is going to hold the seat. And the reason why I say that is because to me, Nancy Mace, her platform is just token Republican. And from what I've seen from her and I think it was an article in the post and courier. And it said something, it was talking about Joe Cunningham and how that was an, a major upset. I mean, he didn't win by a huge percentage. It was, you know, small. And so it was just something that no one really expected. And it, it, it was something that people were just like, Whoa, and they were saying the reason why he won like that, if I'm correct, is because he ran local. And like, for example, rather than talking about, you know, for example, right now, the Supreme Court hearings, he, he's not talking about that. He's talking about offshore drilling or like how to help with drainage in Charleston or what to do about Paris Island. And he's bringing up these local issues rather than going into this like kind of trap of national issues and falling into that and then getting caught talking about them. So he's running his campaign very local. And relating to that, Nancy Mace, to me, I don't like the attacks on Cunningham. I feel like there's a lot of things that you could legitimately hit Cunningham on. And like one of the things I hit him on was that um, Representative Ilhan Omar introduced a bill into the House of Representatives to get our troops to withdraw from Afghanistan, to withdraw our troops from Afghanistan. And we've been in Afghanistan for what, 19 years at this point. So, I mean, like that's a legitimate point wherever, I think it was like 126, 125 Democrats crossed over and voted with Republicans on that issue. So you could legitimately hit Cunningham on that. And if you're so for the president and getting us out of the foreign wars, why don't you hit Cunningham on that and say, okay, you had the opportunity. Why didn't you vote? to pull our troops out of Afghanistan. And there's other votes that Cunningham has that, you know, it, it's things that you could legitimately hit him on. And the same thing with Mace during her time in the state house, you could legitimately hit her on things like this. And so the national calling him a liberal to me, that's just like such a, a scare tactic. And I don't like that. Like, I feel like Mace is really centering her campaign around trying to scare you about Cunningham, especially with her King street ad, like wherever it was like, Democrat Joe Cunningham, let King Street burn. I'll stick up for you. And I'm like, okay, well, you're not going to get out there and do a Kyle Rittenhouse, I mean, during the night of the shooting. So I don't know why you're trying to scare people like that. And that's a whole nother thing. Let me not get into that. But that was one night compared to all the other big cities and the problems that we've had in these, those other big cities, the problems that they've had compared to us. So overall stance on the race, um, I think Cunningham's going to get it. Uh, I like Cunningham. I like Mace, but uh, I think Cunningham's going to come out on top. And Cunningham has pledged himself to three terms, so I'm very happy with that. And I'm encouraged to see him, 
you know, continue serving the people of the first congressional district and the people of South Carolina. Awesome. Cool. Um, you brought a really good point when you were saying that um, Cunningham, he's made folks that really where he didn't side with his um, Democratic colleagues. I mean, look at his vote for the Speaker of the House. He didn't even vote for Pelosi. So, you know, he has um, kind of sold himself as I'm not going to always vote for my party. That's, I mean, I, I'm not going to be a Democratic loyalist. I'm not going to always vote for everything that my Democratic colleagues vote for. But I can pledge to you that every vote that I take, I want to benefit my constituents back in South Carolina 1. And I think that's your really good point when you said that the reason why you think he won is because he focused on local issues. I can't really say that because I don't really know about Cunningham that well. But for the most part, I he really doesn't react to national issues in a matter of uh, compared to a lot of his colleagues in Congress. I mean, for example, I know like a lot of people throw her name out, but like AOC, AOC launches on every almost every national like issue there is, and sometimes she gets dragged because they're like, "What about the issues within your district? Are you doing something about it? You're so caught up in the hype of national issues, but what about?" the issues within your district. And I think that's a hard thing to do as a house to rep because you know you focus on national issues, but at the same time you're sent to Congress to represent the interests of your constituents. But at the same time it's like a balance since you're on a national level now. So good point. Right. And and impeachment um, too with Cunningham. I mean like for example the district first congressional district voted for Trump by like I think nine, ten points. Yes. And this is something that I asked him you know, like, why would you vote yes on impeachment? To me, it's something that these people do all the time. And, you know, of course, in my personal opinion, I don't think it was necessarily an impeachable offense. And especially since it was not going to get past the Senate, there was no way that they were going to impeach him for something like that. In the politically partisan time that we're in, there was no way. And so it was just, to me, a partisan stunt. And it honestly kind of like, I was like, I was like, dang, Cunningham, whenever he voted for it, because <laughs> I was like, you, you could just talk to Pelosi and just tell her, you know, give me this vote. You know, if he's so connected to the leadership, as I'm sure Nancy Mace would like to say, and he could just say, like, this is a largely symbolic vote. I'm not voting for this because it's not going to pass the Senate. And so, yeah, man, that was an interesting one. But feel free. And I, I'm glad you brought up the impeachment. I think Cunningham didn't want to end up like Tulsi Gabbard. I mean, at that point, it was almost like if you voted, a, like, okay, Tulsi voted present on both articles, got dragged, like, through the media, like, they were like, why did she vote present? Why? And then she later came out and was like, I felt like um, the issue of impeachment regarding our president, it was not substantial enough for us to actually remove him from office or even uh, remove him of his title. And I think um, that's where it kind of gets kind of hectic because, you know, an issue like impeachment, that's strictly partisan, and we saw that except for uh, Mitt Romney, of course. But um, it's strictly partisan and we knew that's how it was gonna be. We knew that the House was gonna vote in large numbers and impeach him. And we knew it was gonna be a cutthroat vote. Strictly Democratic majority got the impeachment. Um, the minority really had no say. And then it got to the Senate and it was strictly cutthroat and with the exception of Mitt Romney on that one article. But yeah, good point. And another thing is um, back to the uh, Cunningham and Mace race, during the debate, I kind of got the feeling that Mace was coming at Nancy more than she was at Joe. It was more like Pelosi this, Pelosi that. And uh, you brought up the point of where they call them liberals and stuff. I kind of feel that same way when they say like socialists. 
not all Democrats are socialists. I believe there's only two, three registered Democrat socialists that are in the House of Representatives. AOC, Rashida Tlaib, and I think it's, uh, who is it? It's a congressman out of Illinois. He's a registered Democratic Socialist. Um, so it, you know, the socialist stance that a lot of these GOP operatives take is like really absurd on many different scales. That's it's a scare it. tactic. It is, strictly. It's strictly a scare tactic to get the conservatives riled up and without fear of a, you know, a socialistic country. That's what they don't want. So, yeah. Democrats do the same thing too. Oh so yeah, it's, it's on both sides. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. So oh. Ooh, emerging from that, let's move on to another um, viewer's question. So Eli, who is someone, and they can currently be in office, and you would want them to run for a higher office. But who is someone you want to see run for office? Someone I, that I, I saw that one too, and that's a, that's a really good question. Um, if I had to pick someone to run for office, you know, um, would you mind one Republican and then one like Democrat that I'd like to see run for office? Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Okay. So one Republican I'd like to see run for office is Brandon Tatum. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's a kind of big, big conservative commentator. And, you know, I like him personally. I did an interview with him. I'll be posting that soon. So keep an eye out for it. And I think that he'd be a really good guy to have there because to me, Brandon is someone who listens. And I've had conversations with Brandon, you know, over that interview and just talking to him at different events, excuse me, and letting him know, you know, how I feel. And he listens to me and he takes in the information. I feel like Brandon is someone you could talk to and convince. So I'd have to say Brandon Tatum on the Republican side. I'd love to see him run for Congress or Senate. Um, on the Democratic side, I've interacted with a lot, a lot of them. You know, there's a, uh, there's a guy named Jacob Gamble, who he works as a communications director for J.A. Moore. And yeah, yeah. And he's a real interesting guy. Um, I think that he'd be a very, very good guy in Congress because he, he's very, very smart. And I haven't talked to him in a couple months, but, you know, he's, he's someone that he's one of those people to me, he's kind of like a Dick Cheney character. Like he's the guy behind the scenes, but I feel like he'd be a good guy in the front and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have to be all out there. He could just be there and, you know, making legislation and working for his constituents, but I don't think he'll run, but yeah, I would love to see him run sometime. Both people I know, um, I'm going to start with Brandon. Um, I don't know Brandon, like you've met, you actually met him personally, so I don't know him like personally. But I think uh, when it comes to black conservatives, they tend to make a lot of valid points. I mean, um, I sometimes watch uh, Candace Owens and um, sometimes on her uh, podcast and um, or on her uh, show on YouTube, and Candace lends a lot of valid points. And I think she also could be someone that you might have to keep your eye out on for running for office. Um, so yeah, that's cool that you brought that up. Candace is too dividing to me. Really? Really? Mm -hmm. I mean, I get that because I think sometimes like her fierceness comes off like, all right, like calm down. Look, you're kind of doing a lot right now. But I think she, she would bring an aggressiveness into whatever office that she had that would, it would fuel, of course, you know, a conservative base that may not have good intentions. But I think 
think she is very smart and she's well spoken. So maybe not office, but definitely like maybe in government in some type of capacity. I don't think sure. she listens like Brandon does either. Like during Joe Rogan, did you watch her podcast with <laughs> Joe Rogan? Okay, climate change. I, That's what I'll say. On the, I did. Climate, watch the no, watch the climate change segment, and you'll see what I mean. Yeah, I actually did watch that segment, and yes, did she say like climate change was fake, and she felt like. Um, it was perpetuated by the Democrats as a, another talking point or something. Like, yeah, when it comes to those moments, and I'm like, all right, yeah, I kind of get where people are saying, like, she might not need to run for office. But I think she's, like, a very well-spoken Black conservative. I, I will give her that. Right, right. I'll give her that, too. Yeah, absolutely. And to Jacob, um, I don't know Jacob either personally, but I do know that he is the comms director for J.A. Moore, and I can get the vibe that he's about his business. Like, as you mentioned, he, as comms director, you are kind of behind the scenes, but I can genuinely say that from what I've seen, like work ethic wise, what I see on social media, he's a very hardworking guy. And to be a comms director for a, a state rep already, you know, that's an honor of itself. So I think, yeah, he, I don't know him personally, but if you were to run for office and I was within his, you know, uh, voting zone, I would definitely cast my ballot for him. Yeah, very and I marched with him in the, uh, the protest in Charleston. Awesome. Cool. Cool. And he goes to USC? Or he is does. He? Yep. Okay. Yep. So we're talking about the same person there. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So glad we got that out of the way so we can move on to you, Eli. So Eli, what are your future plans? Like what career do you want to go into? Do you want to be like a political reporter for a news outlet? You want to be a correspondent? Like what are, what are your ambitions? Like where do you want to go from here? Well, you know, man, um, I'm really kind of gearing up for a mayoral run. I'm really thinking of running for mayor of North Charleston. And uh, it's really interesting because I, I have a pretty good idea of who's going to be running. I've talked to the majority of people that, uh, you know, and I've written off a couple of them and, you know, talk, after talking to them and they said, no, I'm not going to be running for that. Okay. And so, you know, kind of surveying out the field. Um, so it looks like it's going to be Pendarvis, Marvin Pendarvis, Representative Pendarvis, um, John Singletary. Um, I don't know, maybe Elliot Summy, but I don't think Elliot Summy will run. And hopefully me. So it looks like it'll really gear, gear up to be us three, as far as I'm aware. And the reason why I want to run for mayor is because uh, – <laughs> I like Mayor Summy a lot. I've had the opportunity to interview him. I talked to him, uh, but he's been there for a long time. And I feel like you could give, you know, essentially a new vision. And one of my biggest things is like economics. Um, I'm like one of those people that's like, okay, we should be trying to bring as much business as possible to the city. And I think he's done a great job with that. But my main motivation for wanting to run for mayor is like, for example, building these political connections right now. Okay. So like I have Jamie, on Facebook. I don't, I don't have his personal number or anything like yet, but I have him on Facebook and he hits me back just like that on that. So I could text Jamie and I could be like, Hey Jamie, you know, like how, what do you know about Boeing? How do we convince them to expand their operations? And can I get your help with this? And he'd be like, yeah, Eli, sure. Let's do it. Or I could, I have Brandon's personal phone number. I could call up Brandon and say, okay, Brandon, you're a guy on the conservative side. I'm sure you know some business owners. So let's see, what can we do? Who can we bring to North Charleston? And just continue to work on that. But uh, yeah, man, to answer the question, definitely gearing up for North Charleston mayoral run. Of course, I'm not entirely sure. But what I'm thinking is I'm going to join the National Guard and do that for a little bit and then, you know, run for mayor 
and hopefully get it. And after that, I mean, who knows? I may just stick with Mayor. I may go further. Uh, or I may end up at like Live 5 News or something like that. But <laughs> yeah, definitely gearing up for Mayor. That's what I'd say. Wow, that is explosive that you already have that ambition within you right now. Like, that is amazing. Like, kudos to you for that. I mean, that's a, that's a really big step. And Thank also, you. I would say, um, from what I've seen, and now actually getting to know you personally, uh, I think you would be an excellent mayor. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, man, I'm going to need your help when the time comes. I'm going to have to call you up and be like, hey. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Thanks you going out here. All, right. <laughs> right. Um, and you mentioned a really good point about the basis of politics. It's about connections. Uh, you mentioned how you've gotten close with Jamie and you've gotten close with um, – you know, Brandon and all that. Um, yeah, it's the same over here. I mean, I think if I would have saw myself in this position a year ago, I would have had not thought that I would be, you know, friends with some of these people. Like Corey, I I talk to Corey sometimes, uh, sometimes monthly. It's not all the time. Um, but Which I'm Corey? Actually, Corey Booker. Yeah. Oh, oh, whoa, yeah. whoa. Yeah. He, oh, yeah. um, he sometimes uh, sends me emails regarding his campaign because he is, of course, running for re-election in New Jersey. Um, but I was just on a Zoom call with him, and we just talked about issues in the nation. Um, this was prior to the confirmation hearing, which he did an amazing job today. Um, but yeah, he's one. And I think another huge guy, and I mentioned this prior of us recording, Jim Clyburn. Awesome guy. Love Jim Clyburn. Um, Jim, I actually want to do his fellowship program when I am, you know, have the time, but awesome figure for the state of South Carolina. Um, his work in South Carolina has made it a better state, and he also represents a lot of people. And I think within that, he gains the trust of not only his district, not only the state, but the country, now that he's, you know, of course, the majority whip of the House of Representatives. So those have been my two biggest um, connections or mentors that I would say. Um, I love the yeah, guy who I, does Cory Booker on SNL. <laughs> right. I mean, Cory, the, the thing about him, um, and my dad said it, <laughs> I, and I don't know if it's just a unique feature about Cory. After seeing him for a while, I kind of like it because it makes me feel like he's more engaged. But, you know, his eyes are always, like, kind of wide open. And so, yeah, the guy on SNL does him, and <laughs> he's, he's hilarious. People, but I looked at it, and people were, like, giving him flack for like doing Cory Booker. And I'm like, whoa, because they were like, it was um, accurate. It was I know. really accurate. That's honest. the thing. It was like, they were making the debate and they were like, Senator Booker, we're going to give you as many words as your polling is showing. So you have like three or, or five words or something like that. And they panned him and he's like, and yeah, <laughs> I know the viewers won't be able to see that, but I just had my eyes open really wide and I was like kind of looking at the camera. <laughs> and so, yeah, they panned him. And, and then he was like, he just did such a great job, and he was like, Joe Biden, I got this for you. Frankly, rehearsed joke. I thought you were high when you said it, whenever you were, he was talking about marijuana. <laughs> yeah, I forgot that he did say that during the debate. That was, yeah, yeah. I, I love the rehearsed joke part. He was like, rehearsed joke? I thought you were high when you said it. <laughs> and but I you, think um, in the debates of itself, uh, Corey kind of set that precedent that um, – as president, he was going to be very like confrontational. Um, like he even uh, mentioned, um, he talked to me about this one occasion where um, he, before he got on the debate stage, and I think it was um, South Carolina, no, he was in a South Carolina debate. It was somewhere, it was within the first two primary debates. Uh, before he got on the stage, uh, there was this guy that was, that was like shouting him on. He was like, Yeah, we're gonna beat Trump, we're gonna get him out of office. And Corey was like, 
yeah, we are. And then he was like, let's just like punch him in the face. And of course, like, no, that's that's a that's a charge. You can get you can get arrested for that. So I think um, that sense of humor was kind of refreshing to have on the campaign trail. And yeah, he's a very cool person. Um, all the people that we've mentioned are really cool people. So awesome. And I'm glad uh, you've already let my viewers know what your political ambitions are to be a mayor. That's huge, Eli. Like, congrats again. And I, I, hopefully, I can you know help you as much as I can. Um, but yeah, you're gonna serve uh, North Charleston if that is where you decide to run. You may change where you might decide where you're going to run. But yeah, man, I may. Yeah. And I'm definitely going to have to keep you involved. I love, I, at, you know, after looking more into him, I really like Corey. Yeah. And, you know, I can, I can just tell that he's such a passionate guy. Like, he legitimately, I can tell that he cares. Like, I was watching him during the um, Kavanaugh confirmation hearings. And, I, you know, just today, ironically, before we did this, podcast and he was like asking Kavanaugh and he was like I have no doubts about this but I want to know would you fire someone based on the color of their skin and then Kavanaugh you know he's trying to do the rehearsed line uh well no senator I would not fire anyone based on the color of their skin and he's just like okay okay and to be respectful of my time would you fire someone based on you know their religion and then he he was I think he was panning into gay marriage and but I could just tell that he like legitimately cares about these issues and he's like, he's very passionate about this. He's ready to go. And he knows what he's talking about. So I think that Corey is a good guy. Absolutely. And I think in Congress, we need um, a balance of, you know, personal people, but also people that are willing to work and, you know, do good things for the people that they represent. So I think he kind of finds that balance. But of course, you know, it gets challenging sometimes when an issue comes and you just have to be strictly confrontational so you can get it addressed. But yeah, awesome, cool, cool. And then our last question or our last viewer's question is, out of all of the um, races that are happening in South Carolina, which race would you deem as the most competitive? And I'll let you respond. That's a good one. Um, most competitive. Hmm. I'm gonna go with one that someone knows well. I'd probably have to say Jamie and um, Senator Graham because those two, I mean, Jamie was never supposed to get this far. Jamie was supposed to just be someone who was running because Graham was unopposed and he felt like he didn't want to let Graham run unopposed, but no, Jamie has turned this into like a national race. He, I mean, he, he was just on Jimmy Kimmel the other night and I was watching him. <laughs> Jamie is like, he, he's man. He's, Oh, he is something. I I want to say something a little bit, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit controversial. But uh, Jamie is Jamie is very very interesting. Um, I think Senator Graham. Oh, oh, it's tremendous. I'm so glad to see that he's finally having to come back to South Carolina and really work for that Senate seat rather than you know it just being handed to him. And so yeah, <laughs> I definitely have to say the Senate race is probably the most competitive to me. And I'm very intrigued to see the outcome in that one. And you mentioned um, something really big. You uh, you said that it was good to see that Lindsay actually had to come back to South Carolina. Um, I think within the first few months of uh, Harrison announcing that he was going to run for Senate, um, his campaign released a statement basically saying that um, Lindsey Graham, he hadn't had held a town hall in almost like a year. It was, oh, three years. Really? I think it was. Wow. See, and that's ridiculous. Like, you, you're in you're in the Senate 
and you're supposed to be representing your constituents well, but you're not taking the initiative to talk to them or meet them and hear the issues that they want. So, you know, that was something I was like, wow, like maybe people really need to start opening up their eyes about who Lindsay is. Um, this is going to be a very interesting race, as I mentioned previously. I think um, now that it's on a national stage and Graham is scared. I mean, I think he was on Fox. He was saying like, I'm being killed financially. I need your help, please. $10, I, I $5. Skip a yeah. meal, whatever you can do, please. please I need it. Yeah. <laughs> These liberals around the country hate my guts. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and um, I didn't realize that nationally a lot of people didn't like him. But I was like, wow. I mean, when you look at it, it kind of makes sense, though. Um, and also, um, not only Harrison's race, there's a lot of other competitive Senate races that are currently happening in all these different states, even in Georgia. Um, you know, Georgia actually has two Senate races happening um, with um, Kelly, Senator uh, Lofler, I think that's how you pronounce her name. And uh, there's a vacant seat, I believe, I think. Yeah, I think it's so, um, David Perdue and uh, John Ossoff are yeah. facing off with each other. And Kelly Lofler, and I'm forgetting the name of the, the that one's weird because it, I think it's a special election and it there's is, like yeah. five people running. And yeah. so the Democrats haven't like centered around one person yet, if I'm mm -hmm. correct. But I mean, well, it's, there's it's Warnock now. Warnock is the Democrat. Now oh, really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's news to me, man. And yeah. um, Mark Kelly, that's going to be an interesting one. And that Martha is. McSally. Yeah. I'm very interested to see that one. Very. Yeah. Um. What's another one? Oh, Sarah Gideon and uh, Susan Collins. Oh, yeah, Maine. Is that Maine? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep, Maine. Wow. Oh, that one. That one's going to be tremendous because I'm I'm excited to see what she votes on the, you know the, the um, Amy Coney Barrett. Oh yeah, the confirmation. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, she can either kill herself or. I oh mean, yeah, and she's always did that. I don't know how it's like she's always kind of put herself in positions where like she has to play it good politically. Or she just like gets beat up bad from the consequence. Cause like I know during the impeachment, like they're like, if you don't do this, then it's like you're gonna suffer the consequences politically. But if you do it, it's gonna be even worse. So she's always been placed in the position of like trying to straddling the political spectrum in some uh, sort. Another right. race I just thought about Cal Cunningham. Cal Cunningham and Tom Tillis. Yep. Tillis. Yeah, that's another one. Yes. Um, um, dang. Oh shoot, I'm forgetting her name now. Um, what's her name? What's her name? Senator from Maine. We were just talking about her. Collins. Collins. Susan Collins. Okay. Yeah, she she's in an interesting position. Yeah. Because uh, uh, she, you know, and relating to that point that you made, I mean, she wants to say that she's a moderate Republican. You got to back it up on the votes, girl. You I do. Mean, come on. You got to get in there and back it up. You, you can say that all you want to. You can talk to talk, but we're going to see during this hearing, are you going to walk yeah. the walk? And Cal Cunningham and Tom Tillis, that's interesting. Because Cal Cunningham just had a little controversy. Oh, God. Reminded me yeah. of old Mark Sanford there with the yeah. Appalachian Trail. But, but, but the thing was, that was action. To him, yeah. it was like people were – the Republicans were getting so hard on him. And I'm like, okay, I understand he has a wife and kids. Yeah. This isn't like he's, you know, like snapping pictures or anything like right. that. Right, right. He literally just said, like, I want to roll over and kiss you. So I'm yeah. like, come on, Cal. I mean, come on, man. You got to do something a little bit more than that. That's just like, that's, that's rookie. <laughs> right. And I like want to roll over and kiss you. Like, <laughs> right. And I think um, it was also 
um, it, it was the GOP grasping for straws. Like they needed something to run with. I mean, honestly, before that, they weren't really running something other than his record in the, um, you know, North Carolina's legislature. That's really what they were running on. But they didn't have anything that was like, mm. and then when that came out, they were like, all right, let's run it. Let's let's run the screenshots. I was seeing the screenshots all over Twitter. But Cunningham but, uh, didn't lie about it though. As soon as it came out, he released a statement about it, which that's something that the parallels between him and Mark Sanford, in my opinion, ended. Because with Mark, nobody knew. <laughs> nobody knew yeah. for a little bit. And let me say, I do like Mark Sanford. I know Mark Sanford. <laughs> but uh, Appalachian Trail is an interesting move. So, yeah, yeah, but he released a statement right away, and he talked about it. And so I think he's going to win. I, and yeah. I think that they're just, at this point, it's just grasping at straws. Because, yeah. I mean, he's human. We forget, yeah. I, you know, like, I, of course he has a wife and kids, and it's not a good <laughs> thing. But I'd rather have that than him like selling out North Carolinians or like True. getting a big job yeah. at like some, you know, like oil company or something like that or taking these pack dollars. Yeah. Like, I'd rather have that than him just being a pawn for, right. you know, whatever. So, yeah, yeah, man, that's an interesting one. We got a very interesting election coming up. And Fair. oh, I'm kind of scared right now because I think it was Bloomberg that released a prediction and they were saying that um, Trump voters are going to go to the polls, they're going to vote in person. And Biden voters are mainly going to vote by mail. Yep. And, you know, some of them will vote in person. And so they're saying that it's going to look like a landslide for Trump in the beginning. And as time goes on, and for other Republican candidates, it'll look like mm. the Republicans swept the Senate, look like the Republicans swept the House. They probably, it'll probably look like they gained the House. Mm. And so, but as time goes on, then the votes get counted. And yeah. next thing you know, that blue wave takes over the red wave. But I don't know because I feel like the Republicans are just going to say it's fraud. And I feel like knowing yeah. Trump, he's just going to say, look, this is a total sham. <laughs> and he's just, you know, he's going to deny the results of the election. I feel like they might have to throw his ass out there. But they will. I'm they, not they sure. Really they, Which I wish I was, he would just come out and be like, "Let this is for the good of the country. Like, because yeah. I feel like... If, he, if it looks like he's going to win, there might be riots and stuff like that. And then, oh, yeah. and then once the Trump supporters figure out that he didn't win, they're going to riot. Because yeah. that's the funny thing they're is because they try to talk about all the Democrats and Democrats want to ride in the cities. Okay, let's see what happens whenever Trump loses. Right, right. And you brought up and, a really good point with mail-in ballots. We may not know who won the – actually, we may not even know who's winning all of these seats that we've mentioned until, I mean, maybe weeks after – I mean, these melon ballots have to come in, get processed, and we, like, usually, you know, it's like a big election night. We know who's the president by the, at least the next day. This case, we may not even know, and it, that's, that's not sitting right with me. It's not. But My I biggest fear is, like, a 2000 kind of election style where the Supreme Court, it comes down to a very tight election, and the Supreme Court decides the outcome. Yeah. Because Trump, Amy Coney Barrett's going to get on this. I mean – it's going to happen. Mitt yeah. Romney's not going to vote against her. You know, the only person I think it's, um, oh shoot, I'm forgetting her. Uh, someone from Alaska, Murkowski, that's her name. Yeah. And uh, um, Collins. Those are the only two. That, and I feel like Collins might actually end up going with it because Collins is pretty much done for from mm. what I've seen in the polling. I mean, yeah. you know, there's no point. Just vote for the, you know, get your last little <laughs> vote in before, before you get fired. And mm. so, It'll be very interesting to see what happens. But, yeah, that's my biggest, biggest fear is that it goes up to the Supreme Court. I'm just hoping that they, like, it's not so politically partisan and they, like, look at the Constitution 
Like, yeah. isn't that what you're there for rather than yes. the Republicans? You're there for the Constitution. You're the yeah. highest land. You're the highest court in the land. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, man, it, it's a very interesting election. And I'm just hoping that we could just get it over with and it'll just be a little bit better. And I think that that starts on November 3rd and saying to Trump, you're fired. So you're fired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Also, back to what you mentioned, the Supreme Court should not be partisan. I've never gotten into the idea that we should be worried about who's conservative and who's liberal. I mean, when eyes of the Constitution, you should do it based on the Constitution, not who appointed you, not what your political affiliation is. It should be by the law. And I think uh, with Amy Coney Barrett, like you mentioned, she's going to be confirmed. It's going to happen, um, right. which will lead the Supreme Court with a six to three conservative majority. So I think, you know, <laughs> this is a very consequential election of itself. But with the confirmation of uh, Amy Coney Barrett, that's what leads uh, the GOP operatives to say, are the Dems going to pack the court if they win in 2020, which is something that Biden and Harris have both not answered directly. And I think I they will. I yeah. think they will. But to me, I like that idea because I like the idea of justices. The more justices you add, the less of like a political move it is and the less like politically partisan it is to me. Because like, say, for example, I know it's not going to happen. It'll probably be 11 if they do decide they want to expand the court. But yeah. say that they do like 15. I'm like, oh, my God, imagine that. Or like, and, you know, they did it to wherever. What if there was like an age limit on the Supreme Court? Because realistically- oh. Ruth Bader yep. Ginsburg should not have served on the court for that long, but I know mm -hmm. why she did. And yeah. I feel like a lot of people know why she did. It's because she didn't want, <laughs> yeah, she didn't want him you know, filling that seat. Yeah. And that's, I feel like that's the only reason why she was, I mean, she had cancer a couple times and I'm like, yeah. lady, like, come yeah. on. She was a fighter for sure. And she oh. affected her seat. Like, I, and I was just thinking like when she passed away, I was like, can you imagine like, all the things that she went through to hold on to the seat, like and she close to November. And I know like, you know, she tried, she did. And now like, it, it's really up to the Dems to, you know, win big in 2020 so that, you know, they can have some fighting chance in the government. I mean, but yeah, she held on, man. She did. She did. Yeah. Me and my dad were talking about it and I said, okay, you know, she's a Supreme court justice. She's probably got access to the best healthcare in the world. I said, yeah. I feel like they're going to pump her up with something and keep her alive. And then she'll just die whenever Biden gets in there. And no, I was like, what? Whenever I saw that news, I was like, I thought that Ruth would, you know, hang on. Yeah, at least in November. Yeah. And which, and to say that she was such a fighter to hold on for as long as she did, like you brought up. I mean, that lady was on the verge. Like she got, can't, like I mentioned, cancer multiple times. You yeah. could see, like looking at her to me, you could see she's just like frail. Yes, yeah, she, she went through it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. she looked like she was supposed to be in the nursing home to me. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, what a woman to go through yeah. all that. And I mean, imagine the pain she must have been in to go through that and, you know, continue to fight and keep mm -hmm. going through all that just to be able to hand over your seat to someone like minded. I yeah. mean, that's, that's just very intriguing. And mm -hmm. it'll just be very interesting what we see happens with the Supreme Court. But I feel like Democrats are going to take the Senate. I feel like it's going to be a wavier for them. And kind of going back to the um, Bernie real quick, the reason why I supported Bernie and why I got my mom to vote for him was because I feel like Bernie is a really good person. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, I'll send it to you, but Bernie, or unless you've already seen it, I think it was in 2016 and Bernie's brother was nominating him. Bernie was, my brother was a delegate. And to me, that moment made me cry whenever I first saw it because mm -hmm. 
it it was his brother, and he was like, "It is with enormous pride that I cast my vote for Bernie Sanders." And I was like, "Oh, it just hit it hit me in the heart." And I could just yeah. tell it was like genuine. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing with Bernie. To me, he's just a genuine person, and I feel like he's a good guy. But at the same time, looking back on it, I mean, I didn't feel like he was going to win the nomination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was going. I personally. I, I felt like it was going to be like Pete Buttigieg or Amy Klobuchar, one of the, one of the other ones. And I yeah. actually really liked John Delaney whenever he was in the race. I liked his smile. He, <laughs> he had like a smile like that. Yeah. And then I liked Amy Klobuchar too. I liked her. I liked her um, signature, the shaky Klobuchar. hair. She would, yeah. you know, the hair yeah. would shake. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I actually had a chance of meeting Amy. Um, and she's very – too. yeah, very fierce. I met her at the uh, Democratic uh, – convention in South Carolina very fierce woman um and and the funny thing about me meeting her she was actually talking to a Green New Deal activist in front of me and she gave like the most I cannot remember word for word but she gave the most like presidential answer I think I've ever heard someone answer to the Green New Deal and I was just like maybe I should keep my eye on her and then when I actually had a conversation she actually called she didn't catch my attention enough for me to vote for her in primaries unfortunately but she did catch my friend's attentions who actually um, supported her and actually worked for her campaign. Very good choice though, for sure, for sure. I think yeah. she'd be like a good secretary of state or like someone dealing with foreign people. Cause to me, she just seems like she's strong like that, but I don't know, man. It's, it's interesting yeah. with her. I like her from what I've mm-hmm. seen from her. Um, I like Tulsi a lot. I liked her, but she, she did not, she was not going to win. I mean, you can't go out and say all that stuff about the democratic establishment and expect to win. And Hillary, are you crazy? Like she went after Hillary. Are you crazy? You can't do that in this climate. Like, no. no. And that's why I knew that she was going downhill. Like once you come for Hillary, who is like the embodiment of like, she's like the democratic martyr of the party. Like you just don't step on Hillary's toes. And then when she did that, I was like, all right, Tulsi's done. Tulsi's not even running for Congress. I mean, she's not even ready for another, uh, like, um, term. So I think it was the end for that. Tulsi is an interesting one because she – I I like her strong personality, (laughs) but I feel like she was more of, like, a crossover for Republicans and, you know, like, independents because from what I saw from her, it wasn't Democrats that were voting for her. It was Republicans and independents that changed their party registration for her. to vote for her yeah and so i feel like she would not have been a good nominee to me because Mm -hmm. then i mean oh my god imagine like the bernie left they would they would not like tulsi on that one uh which they they're already having problems with joe biden right now but they're you know they're sucking it up and getting with joe biden Mm -hmm. and tulsi she she would get republicans and independents a couple of them but the theory that there's like millions of moderate republicans to me is just like wrong, (laughs) you know, because I wish that like Joe Biden would spend more time targeting the left because right now I see a divide in the democratic party. And I feel like it's going to become war if they continue to let it go on. And I feel like the left might even split off into their own party. I feel like they might go to green. And then what happens to the Democrats? The Democrats will lose a lot of political power Mm -hmm. because the left is a big portion. I mean, we saw that in 2016 and 2020, how many delegates did Bernie get? He came second both times. Yeah. And that's that's an extremely big thing, especially with all the different people in both races that came in and tried to take him out. And so the left is a huge part of the Democratic Party. And I wish that Joe Biden would like spend more time targeting them 
rather than these moderate Republicans, because I feel like he already has moderate Republicans. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, my dad is a moderate Republican. My dad and me share the belief that healthcare should be a universal right. And now I tend to lean more towards a Medicare for all. But at the same time, if you can prove to me and give me logic and I can understand it and I see the numbers that another system works, if that's through private insurance, if that's through a public option, whatever it is, if as long as it's covering people, then I will go with you. And that's with any issue. And I try to be like that. If you can prove to me the logic and what you know something would do going with it, then I will go with you. I will listen to you. And so that's something that I've tried to do. And it's just really interesting because they keep targeting those moderate Republicans and like they already got them to me. Like right. my dad is not going to vote for Trump. My dad voted for, um, oh shoot, McCain, Romney, and Trump. Oh, wait a minute. No, he couldn't vote for Trump. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> my dad's a felon, so he couldn't vote then. <laughs> ah, got you. Yeah, man, I just got him registered. He's excited. He, he, awesome. But he won't vote in person. He feels like they're going to arrest him. <laughs> he feels like going to the polls. You're going to like tell him, sir, I need you to step aside. Step aside. Yeah. Get against the wall. Yeah. Get your ass against the wall. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, man. I wondered about that. I mean, um, when it comes down to, like you mentioned, the Democratic Party is so divisive. I mentioned this in a previous episode. We have the progressives and the moderates. And I think Joe Biden's biggest problem is, like you mentioned, he has the moderate voters. I don't think they're going to go anywhere. But at the same time, he's trying to be pragmatic, meaning that, I mean, okay, we cannot have Medicare for all, a Green New Deal, universal basic income. We can't have all of these progressive policies at one time. Like we would really be in an economic downfall if that would occur. We just can't. So you have to space it out on a strategic timeline, even if that means like Biden's administration may not be able to tackle in all of these policies, but you have to play it strategically. And I think, I, I, I don't know where I stand really on healthcare because I believe in Buttigieg where he said, Medicare for who all that want it. Uh, still keep the private insurance system, have that option for people. Um, because if we were to abolish private insurance, there would be a lot of people. I, don't, I always forget the exact number, but we will lose a lot of people and a lot of people will go uninsured because of that. Um, and a lot of people want their plans. They want the plans that they currently have. They don't want to change it to a system. So just give them an option. But the thing about the progressives is, and I'm friends with a lot of progressives that are just strictly Medicare for all. They don't want the ACA. They think that the Affordable Care Act does not do it enough. Even though Biden's plan allegedly will be covering 97% of uninsured, they want 100%. Medicare for all, and they're not settling for anything less. So we're going to see how you know all of this comes into play when when people go to the polls, especially these progressives. Which is why I think a lot of people are still kind of mad at the Democratic establishment. And you brought up a really good point. Bernie did well in the primaries, and honestly, this is just me speaking. And I say I had a conversation with my friends Mark because I didn't see it at first. Honestly, Bernie should have won Iowa. I think that had something to do with the DNC. I mean, I don't think, I don't find it uh, coincidental that their voting system went down, you know, in a matter of, um, you know, votes coming in and that you got overwhelmed. Voter systems don't usually get overwhelmed that quickly. I think Pete won, well, yeah, Pete won Iowa, but I think Bernie would have won Iowa if it wasn't for the DNC. Um, and I think there was operatives out there that were working against by, I mean, uh, Bernie to ensure that he wouldn't be the nominee. That's just me personally. But um, 
Biden is the nominee at the end of the day. So <laughs> we have to choose between uh, Biden and Trump. So within that, people get registered, get active, and vote. Vote. That's all I can say. Vote. They treated Bernie so bad. I yeah. got to say that. I mean, to me, uh, from the gotcha questions to calling, you know, calling him names behind his back and working against him, it was just really discouraging to see. And mm -hmm. that one of the reasons why I like to say I'm in favor of healthcare for all. Mm -hmm. And what I will say, because that way it doesn't commit me to like a certain plan. Like if say, oh, say that I was in Congress and Medicare for all came across my desk. Okay. I want to look it over, but I'm most likely based on my current opinion right now, I'm going to vote for it. Most likely. <laughs> because I could see that it would deliver from my constituents. Of course, that mm -hmm. depends on how much it costs and the numbers. Mm -hmm. But I feel like right now the Democrats have a unique, unique rallying call that is Trump. And I feel like once Trump is gone, you will see a civil war break out in the Democratic Party if they don't fix this division right now. Because Trump is something that the left, the progressives I know, I even know a couple socialists, and they're telling me, okay, we don't like Joe Biden. Joe Biden did the crime bill. Joe Biden voted for Iraq. Joe Biden did all these different things. Joe Biden is an establishment Democrat. Joe, they say Joe Biden's corrupt. We don't like Joe Biden, but we are going to vote for him because Trump is 10 times worse. But what happens whenever Trump is gone? And Trump isn't that big rallying call for the Democrats. And so I think it'll be very, very interesting to see what happens, especially in the midterms, because by then we'll see what Biden actually does whenever he gets in there. Because you know, politicians can promise whatever they want to, but you got to get it passed through Congress. And that's another reason why I supported Bernie, because I didn't feel like you get any of that, you know, the Green New Deal. They wouldn't pass that through Congress. You're not going to convince Republicans to vote for the Green New Deal. That's like trillions of dollars. And they have some logical arguments for it. And they have some logical arguments for every plan of theirs, but the Republicans have logical arguments too. And so with Bernie, I felt like he would have been a good president, but he wouldn't have gotten anything done through Congress that he wanted to on that policy maybe, maybe, big maybe, Medicare for all, because he would have focused his political capital on that. And to me, it's like whenever presidents get in there, the first hundred days are so telling. It tells you what they're going to do, what they're passing, what they're getting, you know, pushing through Congress. And after the first 100 days, I feel like it becomes more about reelection and, you know, what you can do for reelection. So it'll be very interesting to see what Joe Biden does because Joe Biden doesn't need to run again. If Joe Biden runs again, that's going to, that'll kill the democratic party to me that, I mean, that will divide them so much, but I don't think he's going to run again. I think the only reason he's running is because he wants to, you know, help restore our country like to the way it was at least less divisive than we are right now. And so I feel like he's going to hand the reins to Kamala, which the left doesn't like her too much. So we'll have to see what happens with that. Uh, but war is coming if they don't solve these divides. Absolutely. And you brought up Kamala. That's all I've been hearing from all my friends. They're like, Biden only has one term in him. And he's going to set up Kamala so that she can run for president or, you know, that she could be the next president after him. I, at first I was like, yeah, you guys have a really good point. But honestly, we'll see. We will see. I think it would make sense for her to run, but we'll see how these next four years, you know, and it will tell. Because, I mean, we've seen what four years can do to a president. We've seen what it did to Trump. We've seen what it did to Obama. Bush, Clinton, four years or even eight years in some cases. It's a lot. Biden and I think the left will challenge her if she gets nominated. I think they'll nominate someone like Nina Turner, 
or, you know, someone like that. And they're going to challenge her because I don't think they're going to put up with another establishment figure like that, especially once Trump is gone. But yeah, I mean, it's so ironic. We talk about that. I just got a call from uh, Brandon Tatum there. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) and you know, and to finish this episode, I do have to say one thing. One, Eli, you're very, 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 very active in politics, right? Right? I would say so. So within that, this is my last question. If you were to change anything right now, meaning change your location, change your career, change anything, and within that change came a consequence, like, for example, something that you did, it blows up in your face, but, you know, it's the reason that you did it. Do you think you would still keep going within that what you do or what you did? Even if you knew that the consequence of it would be huge. Yes. Cause a lot of things in politics are like that. Yeah. Like, I mean, for example, um, AOC coming out and endorsing Bernie. I mean, she endorsed Bernie during a very hard time. He was in the hospital. He yeah. just had a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And of course it was suspected that she was going to endorse Bernie anyway, but she took a lot of flack for that. Mm-hmm. And she came through for Bernie whenever he was in, you know, a very hard moment. And it was looking like he was not going to get the nomination. Like he had no chance. People were concerned about his health. People were concerned about him as a candidate and she came through for him. But I mean, just so many political decisions like that, that have been solved by one person stepping up and saying, no, this is not going to happen. Like to bring in another country, let's bring in another country. Um, one of the examples I like is, uh, I only know this ironically because of the show Narcos and uh, in Colombia, they were having issues with the narco traffickers and, or they, they were, it took someone to stand up to them. And one of those people was um, Galan. That was his name. And he stood up to them and he got assassinated. Like he, he, he got killed. They put a hit out on him and he, he, they killed him. But he got up there and he spoke, and that was his consequence, he, his death. But he inspired a movement, and he inspired this change in Colombia that led to them rejecting these drug traffickers and getting back their country. And so I think that's the moment that we're in today. And so to answer your question, yes, I would, and I would keep pushing. All right, you guys heard him. This is your future mayor speaking in whatever city he decides to run in. Eli, this has been an amazing conversation. You are welcome anytime on our podcast, anytime you want to come in and talk. This was a very effective conversation because we hit a lot of topics within this conversation. So to my viewers, if you want more commentary, if you want anything regarding this podcast, give me a follow at The Root of Ball with Alexander on Instagram. If you want to check Eli out, I will have his Instagram handle in the flyer. So you guys check out his content. Like I said, he's interviewed a lot of people. And then within that, We're going to conclude. Thank you, Eli, for joining us. You are listening to The Root of All with Alexander Brown. It's The Root of All with Alexander Brown.